begin, but you're going to have to advance this for me. I don't know where my remote is. And is this on? Yes. Wow. I'm off to a fantastic start, right? Just killing it. All right. Uh, before we begin, just to give you, those of you who don't really know how many of us work in this particular system, if you are going back to school tomorrow, please stand up for just a second. You won't have to stand up long. If you're going back to school tomorrow, please stand up. Yeah, that's a lot of us. Um, all right, you can be seated. So, we are going to have a quick prayer for all of those who are going back to school tomorrow. So pray with me, please. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, for your compassion on us, for your mercy for us. God, as um, our children and our teachers go back to school tomorrow, help their um, help the influence you have on them influence the people around them. Um, bless them, give the teachers strength, give them patience, um, give them an endurance to last uh, for their patience to last through um, the year, help them to, um, although the system itself is not from you, help them to work you into the system. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, one of my favorite people growing up passed away this week. Um, his name was Robin Williams. Um, he... he I liked him from Aladdin on, um, the genie. And um, one of the things that it reminds us all of, uh, or hopefully, um, is that he, he took his own life. For those of you who haven't, who've stayed completely away from any computer at all, um, he took his own life this week, on Monday. And one of the difficult things about that is that it's just shocking from the get-go, but it's also um, sends us into an area that we aren't that qualified to talk about. Um, some of you have been touched by someone taking their own life. Someone, and it's just it, right next to you. It's someone maybe you've never been touched by that before. But I, I want I want to tell you something this morning before we get into the sermon. Um, just to kind of clarify or clear up uh, this whole issue. If, if you stick your finger in your mouth, your jaw and the muscles in your jaw are powerful enough to bite, to break the bone. It's just true. It's powerful enough to do it, but you can't do it. Your brain won't let you. I remember when I blew out my knee, uh, it, it's an awful feeling, but when it happened, my leg just retracted. It pulled up. I was standing on nothing. I was just wily Coyote there in midair for a second and then hit the ground. Your brain has instincts that keep you from harming yourself. If you have the instinct, if you have the thought, of self-harm. I want you to know that's not you being selfish. That's not you being, oh, woe is me. That's a problem with your brain that you need to tell somebody about. It is a medical deficiency. 
It can be a side effect from a drug. It can be just some odd wiring. It can be some uh, arrays of chemicals. It could be something. It could be really an allergic reaction. There's a lot of things that will make your brain turn on you. But for some reason, the brain and and a brokenness in the brain and unhealthy elements in the brain is the one thing we call weak. So no one comes to you and says, well, how's, how, you say, how's your dad? Well, he had a heart attack. <laughs> Guess he just didn't have that strong of a heart. That would be absurd to say that, that well, the, the liver's not working right. Well, he, he, just, he just doesn't have faith. Just needs a little bit more prayer. When we turn depression and mental illness into matters to take them away from medical community and put them solely in the matter of faith, we do that for at the sake of people who are suffering them. Do not make the mistake of telling someone who has heart problems to just pray it out, to think positive thoughts. And do not make the same mistake with someone who is having brain problems. I was taught differently growing up, but it's just because we didn't know any better. We didn't know that it exists. So if you are having thoughts of suicide, I want you to know that's not because you're weak. It's because you need help. You need medical attention. And yes, we will pray for you, but we're going to send you to a hospital. Because it's something you've got. It, it's, not, it's not selfishness. It's not brokenness. It's just your brain's turning on you. You're not built to think those thoughts. If you're thinking those thoughts, you need to go see a professional. It doesn't make you weak. It just means you need help. That's what I've got to say about that. Psalms 23. Okay, Psalms 23. That thought would have worked great into next week's sermon. I just didn't. I just didn't feel like it. I want you to feel like we don't think you're weak. We think you need help, and we would like to help you find that help. Um, just like if you have, you know, if you broke your foot, we wouldn't say, "Well, you're just careless. Pray it off." Um, if there's something going on in your brain that doesn't belong in your brain, you need medical attention. Seek it, please, because we love you. And we want you to be with us. Um, Psalm 23 is uh, obviously one of um, just our countries and one of our culture's favorite psalms. It wins the contest of most likely to be written on a canvas. It is the psalm that we see the most, that we hear quoted the most. But the problem is oftentimes it's quoted at funerals. We say, well, it's just something that you say at funerals, and we associate it with death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So, it can have, even though it's associated with death, it can have positive effects on our life. I've told you this before. I'd like to continue to tell you this. I'm not that fantastic at prayer. I'm not good at it. Um, I think I can freestyle rap better than I can freestyle prayer, and I can't freestyle rap very well. I've tried. Now, I can 
but I just, I just can't, sometimes I just, I, uh, yeah, just, I don't know what to say. So I think about when I have to pray in public, I, I, think, I have to think about what I'm going to say. When I speak in public, I have to think about what I'm going to say. Rachel makes fun of me because I'm horrible ordering at a drive-thru restaurant. Like when they, like I can have, I have to have her write the list down and I'm reading it. And she says, you speak professionally for a living. How can you not do this? And I said, no, no, no. I prepare to speak professionally for a living. If you let me prepared for that order like I prepared for my sermon, I'd kill it. <laughs> Give me a week. Let me study the options. Let me know the procedures. Man, I'd, I'd make it good. But just freestyling it? Nah. What's a flurger? I don't know. I said it. But there's a there, there's just this weakness in me where I just can't come out with the words sometimes. And what helps me is psalms and songs and spirituals. All this stuff that's in me that I know from when I'm a, when I was a child. God, you are my shepherd, and I don't want anything. You lead me to the things that I need, and you give me the things that I need to survive. You lead me, you purify me, you lead me in paths of righteousness, you restore my soul. See, that prayer I can pray and I can mean, and it doesn't make it weak that I haven't come up with it on my own. I've told y'all this before, one of the prayers I pray often is when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll. I'm not on the sea, but I know it is well with my soul, is something my brain needs to hear my mouth say on a regular basis. It is well with my soul, helps me. Amazing grace helps me communicate to God. Psalm 23 helps me communicate to God. And one of the problems with Psalm 23, just like one of the problems of it is well with my soul, is it doesn't just comfort, but it challenges me. It challenges me to be better than what I was before. And our verse today, go to the first slide here, or second, next slide. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Next slide. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now here's the problem with this passage. I love having my soul restored. God restores my soul. How? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sometimes we're fine with God leading us as long as he's leading us where we want him to take us. We treat God like a GPS system. God, I'm going to pray my coordinates and you tell me the directions to make. You tell me which turns to make. Tell me which college to go to or what spouse to take or, which, or what to do with my financial situation. Or tell me, tell me exactly what to do, God, to get me to prosperity, to get me to happiness, to get me to health. And the gospel does not promise us health and prosperity and wealth. 
which is prosperity. It doesn't help. It doesn't promise us any of those things. It pro- the gospel promises us a savior. The gospel promises us a king, one who's been resurrected. The gospel promises us resurrection. But from there to then, what do we do in between? What does a restored soul look like now? Not just whenever God comes back and we all get to go to heaven or we're all resurrected. Not just, not just then, but now. What does the restored soul look like? A restored soul looks like someone who is following God for God's Letting God lead you in paths of righteousness. Letting God take you places that you, you, wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have been able to go on your own. Because he will. If you follow Jesus, if you follow God, if you let them shepherd you, if you let them take you to places that they want to take you, you will not go to all the places you want to go. Isn't it funny how often God's will is so tightly lined up with what I want? I I think it's very suspicious. And you should be very suspicious of preachers who are constantly following the call of God to bigger churches and better paychecks. Not God's calling. That's the crowd. And that's greed calling. God calls us to follow him in paths of righteousness. To follow him the way he leads us. The way he takes us. And it is not going to always be easy. Because what we want often when we're following God is for Him to go where we lead. We'll say, God, we'll let you go out front. Just throw the reins back here. And let us pull them when we need to. Oftentimes, our relationships and our our everyday life and our, um, our job, we struggle at our job because we aren't following God and we aren't following him in paths of righteousness. A restored soul is a soul that follows God through paths of righteousness for God's name's sake. Not for your sake. I can't promise you a better life if you follow God. I just can't. I know people who are complete pagans live just for themselves and they've got it it seems all together they've got everything you can want they've got more than one ipad right i mean come on who lives like that but i know people who didn't survive cancer and love god with every ounce of their being What does the prosperity gospel do with that? When we say, well, there's, uh, I heard a preacher say, um, a woman 
prayed and prayed for the health of the baby, prayed and prayed, and one day the baby fell out the window, like she had it next to the windowsill. And a UPS woman was walking by and just caught it. He told that story like it was true, but I need some citations. What about other babies that died? What about that? when When we act like God's job is to lead us to success, we are putting him in quite the pickle. Because often, my success means someone else who was praying for the job didn't get it. My success means other people aren't as successful because the system in which we live is a hierarchy. Some people get the best jobs, and that means other people can't get those jobs. Some some men marry the most beautiful woman. That means you can't have her. I'm talking specifically of, oh, she, oh, I thought you'd gone to the back. Never mind. So, some, some people seem like they get everything. And if you get everything, everyone else gets nothing. It's just the way it works. So you put God in quite a bind when you say, God's job is to lead me to something that makes me comfortable. And it's not his, he's not his intentions at all. God's job is to lead you and me through paths of righteousness. We will glorify God by following him through the paths of righteousness. What does that mean? It means when I examine myself in the presence of God, it's going to ask me to change. I'm going to have to become more righteous. I'm going to have to become a better human being in the eyes of God. And as I become a better human being, it will glorify God. God makes me what I am, and what I am then glorifies God. He makes me holy, and I lift up His name. When we follow him, what gets lifted up is not us, but the shepherd, but the one who is doing the leading. I am almost completely incompetent when it comes to getting to places that I've never been to before. I've never sat down with an atlas and figured it out and then went, because I now have a phone that in addition to telling me anything that I want to know within three seconds. It can get me places. And then when it doesn't get me to a place, it's frustrating. It says the Chick-fil-A is right here. When it tells me something and it's untrue, I think, well, what is the, is, is the world ending? Is everything I believe a lie? But this phone leads me to a place. And it gets me there, and most of the time it gets me there just fine. But it gets me there because I told it to get me there. And we are used to things doing what we tell them to do, even if they are leading us places. 
you know, you hail a cab in Nashville. You say, take me to a Mexican restaurant. They go. <laughs> That's a horrible illustration. I did it because it was funny. They tell you to go. You tell people, go. And they go, and they take you places. They give you things. You go into a store, and you would say, I'm looking for this. And they go, go and take you to the aisle. And then, um, Well, it's not been my experience, but they know exactly where it is. I've always, I've always thought, if you're just going to stand here. I was staring blankly at this stuff before you got here and started staring blankly at this stuff. I could have done this by myself. But there's... We are used to being in control. The problem is, is when you are in control, you don't get better. You are your ceiling. Unless you are following someone who's going to lead you in a path that's going to make you better. Following Jesus will challenge the fire out of your life. It'll make you into somebody that you don't recognize in 20 years. And that's going to be a good thing. If you've been following Jesus 20 years, how, how has it changed you? Has it not? Listen, there are some things like addiction and, and things with brain chemistry and things with your body that are going to fight against you and you need to seek medical help for those things. But there are some other things like just worry. That as you go along the path with Jesus, he is going to rid you of fear. That's the number one command in scripture. Do not be afraid. If your reading of the Bible makes you afraid and makes you fearful and hateful, you are reading it wrong. You're doing it wrong. If your following of Jesus makes you dislike people who are different from you and dislike others who have just as much sin as you do, but it's a different sort of sin, you are following the wrong Jesus. You're following your own mind, your own self, and naming it Jesus. You're following an imaginary God. Jesus is going to challenge you to love people you never thought you could love. Jesus is going to challenge you to, to go places and to talk to people that you never thought you'd go or talk to. You just you never thought you'd be in this place. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be worth it. Because there's a good chance in your darkest of moments or maybe even your most um, clear thought that you don't like who you've become. And you think, man, my soul needs to be restored. The only way to find the restoration of your soul is to follow the shepherd in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. To 
love people like Jesus loved people. Now, you may say, Benjamin, that sounds fantastic. What's step one of that? That's tough, isn't it? What's step one of following Jesus, following the shepherd? I would, I would argue to immerse yourself in the life of Jesus. That means you're going to have to read. Or you're going to have to listen. I could sit down and read Mark, Gospel of Mark. Probably could sit down and read the Gospel of Mark in about 45 minutes to an hour. And if I read it out loud slowly, it may take an hour and a half to two hours. You can read the whole story of Jesus this week. Immerse yourself in the story of Jesus. If you don't like reading, but you can hear things, then get an audio book of Mark. Get an audio book of John. On your MP3 player, it's like $3. Spend three bucks and enjoy the story of Jesus. Immerse yourself into how he interacted with people, how he talked to the woman at the well, how he talked to the woman caught in adultery, how he talked to the criminal on the cross, how he talked to the religious people who thought they had it all together. Immerse yourself into Jesus. And then walk the way he walked. Live and interact the way he lived and interacted. And interacted. Immerse yourself into the life of the shepherd. He says himself in the book of John, I am the good shepherd. He's the one to follow. And following him may lead you into a tomb. But if you follow Jesus into the tomb, you'll follow him out of it. It is worth it. It is painful, it is tough, and it is only for those who are ready to take a trip that will change their life. But if you want a restored soul. It's not about just following Jesus where you want him to lead you. It's about following Jesus where he wants you to go. And that's going to be tough. If following Jesus up to this point has been easy for you, there's a good chance you're not that, you're not paying close enough attention. Because he wants some stuff in us to change. I am starting to sweat, and it's the end of the sermon. If you need help, if you just think, I don't know where to start, I don't know what to do, I don't know what step one is for me, if you don't know what step one is for you, just step forward. Come down. It's completely confidential. You won't, I'll turn my mic off. Just tell me what you need. Tell us where you want to go. Tell us where you think Jesus is leading you. If you need that restored soul, I would argue there's no better step than the one you could take to come down from. There may be a part of you that says, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. I, I do want, I feel like I need to, but I'm not going to. 
one of those things, you're not crazy, one of those voices in you is, is the Holy Spirit pushing you to do something that you need to do. The other is not the Holy Spirit. Today you've got to decide what, which one you're going to listen to. And then have the courage to follow where it leads. Start your journey toward a restored soul today. If you've never ever even followed Jesus, if you've never committed to Jesus, we'll start that today too. Let Him be your salvation today. Let Him renew your life. Let Him restore your soul. But please come forward while we stand.